Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Isaiah 51 and the last time the message was titled always trustworthy I try to put these little titles based on what the chapter is expressing and if you ever go on the website and check hey I've been to church for a while I'd like to get a few messages you know a lot of them are very encouraging God's trustworthiness his love for us the fact that he never forsakes us and the titles speak for themselves Uh, but they don't even fully do the chapter justice. This morning, the title is Listen and Awake, because God says, and we'll go through it, listen, listen, awake, awake. And if you look at the translations, listen can mean our, our vernacular, pay attention. You know, God's asking us to listen to what he's saying. Whatever God says, right, the mouth of God, it's everything that he says we should be listening to and taking it to heart. He also says awake, awake, can be translated to stir up, to rise up, to wake up. So what you find in the Scripture is God says to listen, but also to do. Sometimes we can be very good with the listening part, but the doing part we need a little push with. You know, God wants to use us. He's the CEO of all creation in the universe, so to speak, and He wants you to come up to His office and be a part of what He's doing, arm in arm. And that's pretty exciting if you think about it. So hear, listen, and do. Uh, We think about what's going on in the world. It's very important for us, well, for the Israelites, right? They had a a mission. They had something, a goal. Uh, But also for us today, it's the same thing. There's things that God has for us to do today. And he wants to prepare us. So I just heard, um, and it's, listen, I'm not cutting on anybody, but there was a church in the area, and you've probably heard this, they boast that we're the fastest growing church in New Jersey. Well, biblically, that comes with a lot of problems, tears, etc., that Jesus speaks about. Uh, But if somebody was to ask me, well, what would you want to say about your church? I would say, A, that we're Bible literate, that the people here understand their Bible. B, that they're prophetically prepared. When you read the news and you see what's going on in Syria with Iran and Russia and, and Israel, some Christians have no idea what any of that means. But in this church, we try to prophetically prepare you so that when you're even asked an opinion on something, you have the right opinion according to what the Scripture says. Uh, also, that we, as we go through the Word of God, right, that, that uh, we use that to, uh, it, to apply it to our lives. It's applicable to our everyday lives so that when especially trials come, we know how to handle it because we are biblically literate and jesus was very very clear about these things and it's it's just important it's something that we have to put our attention to you know to to you know to kind of shut out the world and the technology and really apply ourselves to the things of god and we'll see this in five parts so we're going to jump in chapter 51 verse 1 it says god speaking through the prophet isaiah says listen to me You who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of of the Lord. 
Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Now, one is God addresses His true followers and He says to them, look to the past. Now, it's funny because in Christianity we say, don't look at your past. Right, when it comes to our sin that's been forgiven. But look to the past when it comes to seeing God's blessings to His people. His love, His blessings, right? So that's when we can look to the past. And He, and he wants them to do that. God's encouraging them. They're in captivity. They're in Babylon. Uh, Jerusalem now is in ruins, right? As they're, as they're going through this. And it's also sparsely populated. But this is what God does. He makes a comparison. He brings up Abraham and Sarah and says, listen, I did a miraculous work from aged Abraham right to have his his kid and also his son of promise and also barren sarah so she was barren it was a miracle that god did and from these two he miraculously uh allowed this great nation to come out of those two right so he's trying to assure them as i did this in the past i also want you to be encouraged that you're going to be released from babylon you're going to return to jerusalem you're going to revive Jerusalem and there's going to be a population explosion in Jerusalem, which history tells us that's what happened and nobody could believe it. That's what I love about God. He almost paints himself into a corner and says, this is impossible, but watch how I, I fulfill this. We see that all throughout the scripture and history. In verse 3, he speaks about making the waste places like Eden or the garden of the Lord. And he did, right? It became lush again. Uh, a lot of Israel even today is lush. People say, well, the climate and the, the conditions and the soil, it, it, God can do these things. He can do anything. Uh, we also find a, a future picture of the millennial kingdom where there's that final fulfillment of an Eden-like earth that God remakes, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, the prophet Joel 2.25 in the Old Testament, God says, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. And we use that in Christianity to to kind of express something kind of in three ways. And God can do this with us spiritually, right? Some don't know the Lord. They're spiritually dead, and He wants to quicken them. And maybe a lot of bad things, maybe they did a lot of bad things, but when they trust in Christ and His sacrifice on the cross, their spirit is now revived. It's quickened. They're alive spiritually. They're born again spiritually. Also, physically, um, it's not a, a promise all the time, but some, you know, God can do miracles in our lives, in our bodies. But there's also an emotional component to that. Uh, sometimes when people come to the cross, they, in, in their mind, it's in the back of their mind, I, I'm carrying a lot of baggage of life. But let God work through your heart. Let Him work through your emotions. Let Him rebuild things. And, and I can, I've seen it. I came to the Lord and I made a mess of a lot of the things in my life and here I am, almost another life of being a Christian, being a pastor. And I look back and I'm like, yeah, God did some amazing things. So you can look to the past too to see, uh, if you've been a Christian for a while, that He does do miraculous things. Check this out as well. God through Isaiah and through His other prophets, any of the people He spoke to, He addresses what was on the people's minds. And again, this is my job to give you context, to give you filler, to give you the backdrop Okay, so what God would do is, well, I can't read minds. I don't know anybody who can, but God can. So he would look out at his people collectively and the struggles that they were dealing with in Babylon. And even though they didn't say it, he read their minds. And then through the prophet, he addressed their concerns. Who does that? <laughs> That's so, so, so impressive. He knows us. 
He knows our fears. He knows our struggles. This is the God that we want to come to. Because people, especially in this area, people can be mean. But God's not people. Let's make sure we understand that. And a lot of times, especially in this area, we don't want to drop our walls, our protective walls that we have up. But this is God we're speaking about. He's not going to hurt you. He's a, a reasoning and relational God who wants to be in your life, involved in your life, and help you through the difficulties. Are we seeking Him? Verse 4, we continue. He says, Listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation, for law will proceed from me, and I will make my justice rest as a light of the peoples. My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. Lift up your eyes to the heaven, and look on the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish away like smoke, the earth will grow old like a garment. And those who dwell in it will die in like manner, but my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. So two out of five is, he says to his people, he says, listen to me, my people, here look to the future. So the first part was look to the past, look at the blessings. Here is look to the future and the things that I'm going to do in your life. He's like, don't lose hope. I have something for you. And folks, this morning you might be going through something and you might be losing hope. But let this encourage you. It's not like God was like, oh yeah, I loved my people back then and I'm, I'm kind of like an absentee father uh, in 2018. That's not the case. His MO, so to speak, is the same in how he deals with those that are his children. Right? So what we find here is there was, he was saying to the Jewish people, the Israelites in Babylon, these following things are on their way to you. Law and justice, light, righteousness and salvation, and deliverance, again, with respect to the Babylonian exodus and beyond. So there was two exoduses. Two times that his people were trapped in a nation that was hostile to him, and he freed them. He released them. Uh, God spoke about his arms two times with respect to judging the evildoers, and also for those same arms to protect those that trust him again we determine on what terms we come to god as our father or as the judge of the universe me i came to him as my father i accepted him and he doesn't have judgment for me anymore he has grace but that's your choice your free will you know you you make that decision he says two more times about his arms in verse 9 for a total of four times in chapter 51 now let's make this clear it doesn't mean that God has 30-inch biceps. You know, that's not what we're speaking about here. God is spirit, but about himself, he uses anthropomorphisms. He uses human-like qualities speaking about himself to help humans understand him better. And that's fascinating how God does that. So the people would think, actually, the people were looking for a warrior. They were looking for someone to rise up in their nation. They couldn't do it. They were under captivity. They remember the days of, of when they were a sovereign nation and the warriors would stand on the wall and guard the people. So here he's speaking about this kind of picture, this image, and what would the people see in human warriors, their protectors? These guys were jacked. There's no other way to say it. They carried a, a, a shield. Many times, at times, were made out of metal. 
They carried a sword, a pike, uh, a dagger. They, you know, this was their repertoire. This is their accoutrements on their uniform. And this is how they defended the innocent. So God is giving this picture of a mighty warrior. So when the people, the Israelites, looked out at those that were protecting them, these guys were in great physical shape. Now people use guns and knives, but back in the day, you had to be in really great shape. Uh, so we, we look at that as well, this imagery. And we see, again, this dual nature of God. He's going to punish the evildoers, and with His same protection, He's going to protect those that trust Him and love Him. Don't be on the wrong side of God. But as usual, what God does in His prophecies is He speaks about near prophecy and far prophecy. So God will say, hey, this is going to happen tomorrow. This is going to happen next year. It's going to happen in 10 years. It's going to happen in 100 years. You guys will be gone, but this is going to happen in two, three, four thousand years. It's what he does. His prophecy has layers. So he's speaking about some things um, germane to the Babylonian, uh, the Israelites' exodus from Babylon, but then he overshoots. And when we talk about righteousness and salvation, he is also speaking about, because we've seen it a lot in this, in this uh, book, the Isaiah uh, prophecies, speaking about the Messiah. Who else could bring in righteousness and salvation to his very people? It was through Christ, right? Their Savior uh, and our Savior. We also see that he speaks about times that the, the heavens and the earth are, are going to vanish like smoke. They're going to be burned up. They're going to disappear. What are we talking about here? Right? Well, if you study the Bible, you know that this planet, I mean, look at the hurricanes, you know, murder, war, famine. Some people live in an area where you can't grow any food. Okay, there's no water, they're desert, it's arid. This is not it. This is a fallen creation because of the sin that mankind has brought in. God is going to, so don't get too attached to this place, <laughs> because everything's going to burn up. He's going to remake it in beauty and glory and like the Garden of Eden. And this is where we're going to enjoy uh, His remade creation the way it was intended to be. Like He redeemed us spiritually. He's also going to redeem His physical creation. And Romans tells us that it even groans. It is, and Jesus spoke about it. It's amazing. Uh, maybe anthropomorphisms or um, just metaphors that Jesus said, even if these people didn't cry out that I was the Messiah, that the rocks would scream out. So you know, pick, pick what you want. I'm going to be proclaimed as the Messiah. So we know that the, the creation is going to be remade. Uh, Matthew 24, Jesus says that the heavens and the earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, the word of God. Jesus, uh, in Peter, the apostle Peter, 2 Peter 3, he said that the heavens and the earth will pass away with fire and a great noise. You, know, you can see the atomic uh, reactions happening uh, on a large scale. It's actually pretty impressive and it's going to be interesting to watch. Revelation 21, he says that the heavens and the earth will pass away and also they will be remade in a perfect form. So we know this. Those that have rebelled against God, unfortunately, will be judged. The planet will be dissolved. Um, so, you know, a lot of good reasons to come to Christ, okay? Uh, but, you know, he does draw us with cords of love right now. But eventually, this period of grace is going to run out. He says in, in verse 6, again, those that are in it, or maybe tied to it, or worship it, will die in like manner. Meaning the creation that we're experiencing now. And then we have to ask ourselves as believers, 
how much are we putting our time, money, energy, love, passion into the things of the world and not into the things of God, knowing this? This is temporary. All this stuff is temporary. It's great to get promotions. It's great to better yourself. It's great to uh, all these other kind of things. But let's not lose sight that we we neglect God because we're not going to be here forever. And one day, don't know when it's going to be, He's going to stop human history and everything that we know is going to change. If you're a believer, it's going to be better. But don't be too tied to this world. Right? God says to His people, and He's saying to us too, look to the future. Look to the future. Don't get so obsessed in the here and now. Verses 7 and 8, He continues, Listen to me, <laughs> you who know. Pay attention, you who know righteousness. You people in whose heart is My law. Do not fear the reproach of men. Do not be afraid of their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. So three out of five is, listen, those of you who really know what's right. You know, you're a believer, you know right from wrong. You're a believer, you hide God's word in your heart. You want to live by His precepts. Doesn't mean we always do. Doesn't mean we don't fail Him at times. But it means our desire is for Him. Okay? And the good news is when, you know, in His timetable, we're going to shed the sinful part of us. We won't be fighting with our flesh anymore. But in the meantime, those who seek after God, those who know righteousness, you know because you love God and you want to know as much about Him as possible. And you do that through His Word. And folks, this this applies to the Christian culture as well. I'm sure we all have friends or associates that are in the Christian culture that when you try to deepen your faith, they kind of look at you funny. Wait a minute, but you're a Christian too. Yeah, but don't get so carried away. What does carried away mean? Wanting to know the Bible more. Wanting to live the lifestyle that He's uh, prepared for us. Um, I don't think that's getting carried away. The Christian culture has a lot of... There's there's true believers, there's the true church, and then there's those that call themselves Christians for a lot of other reasons. Listen, not my words. Jesus speaks about the chaff. He speaks about the tares. And that's not what we should be looking forward to. He also has a special encouragement for us. Don't fear those who insult us and mock us for what we believe. Now, the context is Israel... But this is a reality in 2018 in New Jersey. And uh, I've seen some that have come to receive the Lord and maybe part of it's emotional, and it is emotional. It's an awesome thing. And they have all these ideas and they think that everything's going to be perfect and, I don't know, they come home, their family, their peers, and they're mocked. And they um, wither. They withdraw. For me personal, that's a, that's a painful thing to watch. And I've seen it. You know, when you, Jesus says, for those who put their hands to the plow and look back, they're not worthy of me. In other words, when you follow God, just follow Him. Right? Doesn't mean you're even going to be happy with your progress at times. It means you have a relationship with Him. And He's perfect and we're not. Okay? But it's, it's a journey and it lasts way into eternity. And, and he speaks about those, that the mockers, the insulters. You know, they're, they're not going to live forever. They're going to die. Um, so it's something to look at. 
the book of Revelation tells the tribulation saints through this tribulation, he, God tells them to be patient. Be patient. He tells the churches in Revelation that are going through persecution to persevere, to overcome, and they will be rewarded. Right? If, you've ever, if you're ever interested in just how the rest of the world works, because our media doesn't really, it's very surface when they talk about anything outside the United States. You've got to get other sources for your, for your edification. But there is a, a periodical that I get called Far-Reaching Ministries. And these are a group of committed Christians that are in different areas of the world. One particular one is Sudan and Africa. And how these villages, if they're Christians, they're overrun by militant Islamists. And how these Christians, are, they, their whole life's goal is to stand up and protect these women and children. And I read about what they endure. And it's sad. And here in America, we're concerned that somebody on social media didn't like our post or they said something rude about us because we're a Christian. Let's balance this out here. Let's make a comparison here. There are Christians who are literally just by saying that they're Christians, are in peril of the government, in peril of militants, in peril of losing their life. So I I want that to be an an encouragement there. So when God speaks about this, yes, for us, we're not going to probably not die for being Christians in the United States. So honestly, if we do the comparison, we should dig a little deeper, right? And not fear those that are mocking us or insulting us. Just stay with it. There is an element here of... When people, it's actually, I'm going to kind of blend what the scripture is saying with some behavioral terms. You ever hear the expression, someone is a pleaser? Maybe you might have some pleasers here. You know, you, your whole life, and it's, I tell you what, being a pleaser is difficult because you always want to please people. And you know what? Even from a psychological standpoint, that's not healthy. And you can't do that. Let me read to you, if we can put up Galatians 1, 10 through 11, the Apostle Paul Here's a guy who had everything. He was um, a rabbi. He was uh, well-known. He studied under Gamaliel. If you go into history, when you go home, Gamaliel was a big, well-known uh, rabbi, teacher. And he becomes the Apostle Paul. And for, he pretty much, for all intents and purposes, loses everything. He loses his reputation. He's hated by his peers that he used to you know, run with. Um, I'd say he probably lost a lot of wealth to become a follower of Christ. And he says this in verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Right? This is sort of like a rabbi rhetorical type questions, but you, you can insert the answer. He says, For if I still pleased men, I would not be a servant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. So... When we, folks, when we are pleasers, it doesn't, doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to be agreeable. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try to compromise. I, I like all those things. But if in your mind, your life's goal is to please, you know, everyone in your family, all your friends, all your peer group, it's going to rub against you pleasing God. Very clear in the scripture. So maybe a little, little therapy from the pulpit. I'm releasing you from being a pleaser. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, it's not healthy. I tried that as a pastor in the beginning. It, it failed miserably. That ship sunk a long time ago. Uh, and what happens is you put yourself in a prison by doing that. 
and you compromise on the things of God. It's very clear in the Scripture. So God here reiterates to the faithful that suffering at the hands of the wicked will eventually end. Will eventually end. But God's salvation and righteousness will never end. You might be going through something right now thinking that this is never going to end. It will end. It will end. When you're in the midst of the crucible, when you're being heated up, and spiritually God is doing a work with you, or maybe you go through a trial, and he didn't, he didn't author it, but he's allowing it to run its course to get the impurities spiritually out of you, it's never fun. My wife alluded to that when she did the announcement, the pastor and I. I didn't think she was going to share that one, but, uh, you know, we've been through stuff, folks. You know, it happens, but it, it strengthens you. It hardens you, and it makes your attitude like, I don't really care what this world can give me. I want to serve God, and that's what it does to you, right? And, and that's a good thing, but God's salvation and his righteousness will never end. Keep that in mind. Today, we, we look at TV. We see what goes on in the world, and we say there's no justice in the world. That's right. Especially as Christian, we crave justice. Right from wrong. Well, this is clearly wrong. When Christ ushers in His new kingdom, we'll never say that again. That's amazing. It's amazing. We'll have nothing to complain about. <laughs> so, okay, pleasers, now complainers. If you're a complainer, when the Lord ushers in His new kingdom, you're going to be out of work. You're going to have nothing to do. But praise God and enjoy what He set up. Oh, we've got some complainers here too. Pleasers and complainers. That should have been the message this morning. <laughs> but we'll just move on from there. Uh, I would just say keep eternity in your heart. Persevere. Right? God speaks about all these crowns that come to the overcomers. Persevere. Trust Him. Pray. And I'm going to tell you, in the worst times of my life, I'm just going to admit it, transparency from the pulpit, I was never so close to God. And then when I go through it again, I'm never so close to God. And maybe sometimes we need that to keep us close to God. Because we have this weird thing that when things are going really well, we get weird. And we kind of leave Him kind of behind us. And that's not something that is good for us. Continuing on, verse 9, 4 out of 5, He says, Awake, awake! Put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days, in the generations of old, are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? It's not the Rahab that you think. I'm going to go into that. It's the Hebrew. It's a transliteration. Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? So the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy in their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I, even I, am He who comforts you. Now he repeats this again about being afraid of people. Remember Jesus said, don't be afraid of the one who can just kill the body, your body. He says, be, have reverence and respect for the one who can take the body and then decide what to do with the soul. Either send it into judgment or bring it into heaven. So even Jesus was saying, stop being afraid of people. So he says, who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and the son of a man who will be, like, be made like grass? See that guy over there? The guy who's tormenting you? That boss? That, that overseer? You know, his days are numbered. And I love that the Bible's not politically correct. He's just going to wither like grass. Sun comes up, it burns it, it's gone, it blows away. And you forget the Lord your Maker who stretched out the heaven and laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day because the fury of the oppressor. 
when he has prepared to destroy? And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exile hastens that he may be loosed. So even those in, in captivity to the Babylonian leaders, uh, Persia comes, rises up, knocks out the Babylonians. Where's your oppressor? Where's your overseer? Where's the one who tormented you? He's gone. That he should not die in the pit and that his bread should not fail. But I am the Lord your God who divided the sea whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name and I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth and say to Zion, you are my people. Four out of five is Four out of five is interesting, is that the faithful, faithful remnant of believers calls on God to act. They're saying to God, uh, awake, awake, which is very unusual because God never sleeps. Now remember, I said that God reads minds, and he was collectively seeing what the mood of his people was. You know, a politician takes a public opinion poll and sways based on the, the majority who's going to vote him or her in or not the next time. What God does is he doesn't take public opinion polls. He gets the pulse of his people and he answers them and he comforts them. Okay? Um, So this is what he does. This is a picture of true believers never ceasing to pray and petitioning to their God on their behalf and on the behalf of justice. That's what's going on here. God assures them, I never sleep. Right? He's, He's awake all the time. Verse 9 through 11, he recounts the glory days, and, and they had to be reminded. So they're in Babylon. It is a long time since Egypt and the Exodus. They heard stories. It was too long ago. None of them remember. God is saying, Listen, I was, I was there. And I, I, could you imagine him? Uh, our elder Bill is going through a lot of the Old Testament, uh, and he's mentioned this before. You know, you, you go through the, the Red Sea, and all of a sudden the waters just separate, and, and they're kind of standing up, and you're walking on. The seabed must have been like a, the coolest aquarium you could have ever seen. You know, just walking through it and going, oh, there's a, there's a whale, oh, there's a dolphin. I don't know who's, who's there, but there's plankton, there's an octopus. Uh, but he's reminding them of what he's done. And sometimes as believers, we need to be reminded, right? Oh, everything's falling apart. Remember who you serve. Remember who you serve. So 9 through 11, he's remembering, he's recounting the exodus of Egypt. And he goes, well, watch what I do with this Babylonian exodus. It's going to be great too. Rahab in Hebrew means pride. And it was another, again, context is everything. It was a metaphor for Egypt. But understand that the source of that pride was the serpent. Going all the way back to Genesis. The source of all pride and all evil was the temptation that mankind bought into in the garden with Satan as that serpent um, and his influence in that godless culture. Or actually, he's an influence in every godless culture. Genesis 3, the prophecy of Christ at the cross crushing Satan's power. Oh, that serpent. Remember what he did with that serpent. Well, what are you going to do here? Well, first of all, Jesus is coming and he's, he's destroyed the serpent. He's crushed his head so that your sins don't weigh you and send you into judgment that so many can be crowded into the kingdom. Jesus spoke in metaphors in the first century about pretty much the doors opening up and all these souls crowding into the kingdom of heaven. Something none of us could see, but he saw, right? Because he knew what he was going to do on the cross. So pretty powerful stuff. 
And Satan is still influencing a godless culture today. If you're a Christian and you're looking around and you're turning on the TV and you think everything's great, you're not reading the Bible enough because Satan is at work. It's a powerful undercurrent going on. Verses 12 through 13, he's basically saying, <laughs> so you got this tormentor, this man or woman who's given you such a hard time. Okay, I laid out the foundations. I spread out the heavens. You know, he's making a comparison. And, and sometimes, you know, this is why it's good when we're going through a dark time to read the Scripture. You see his goodness. You see his power. You see his might. You say, this is the one I serve. This, and, and then you, you look at your tormentor, whoever that might be, and then you look at God and go, all right, it stinks right now, but this isn't going to last forever. And that's what he's trying to say. He's trying to encourage them. And he goes into the people-pleasing thing again. Verse 16, he says, I will put my words in your mouth and cover you with the shadow of my hand. Um, we saw that with uh, Moses, and I believe we also saw that with, help me out here, Elijah, where he kind of covers them in the cleft of the rock, and he, he passes by, and they see a part of his glory. And, you know, you see a lot of this imagery being re repeated. So the one thing that he does is when he covers us with the shadow of his hand, sometimes we need to be still and see his glory. There's also an element of protection. I've got this covered. I've got this. Okay? What is it this morning that you're going through? God's got this. Get closer to him. Be, you know, I know for me, I just, I take a walk on a quiet path and I just start talking to the Lord. You know? And it's, it's maybe nothing changes like that, but when I'm done, I feel so much better because <laughs> I just kind of gave it to him. And, and then at the end of the day or at the end of the prayer, I'm like, all right, Lord, whatever your will is, I'm going to accept it. I still follow you. I'm not going to stop following you. So, so important, right? So he wants them to not only to, to protect them, he wants them to, uh, to, to see his goodness, uh, but he also wants to put his words in their mouth. He wants them to do his will. And as, if we're Christians, the more you start to come to church, the more you start to pray, the more you start to read, you actually say at some point, Lord, what do you want me to do? What have I been created for? What, what purpose do I have in your kingdom? These are all legitimate questions. What spiritual gift that I, do I have? Because I, I don't know what I have. Sometimes it takes somebody older in the Lord who can disciple you and to see that. See something in you that you don't see in yourself. But he's called us to be, the Bible says, ambassadors to a, to a hopeless world. This world has no hope. And spiritually, spiritually, we're like ambassadors. We come from his kingdom to share with a world that has no hope that there is hope in Christ. Uh, to, to witness for God, to try to set the best example we can. Uh, I, I did a wedding yesterday, and it was, it was I love doing weddings. And, uh, you know, my prayer was so cool. I, I did a blessing over the meal. And, you know, I just was, before everybody got into the whole reception thing, I just was telling them about God and how he loves them and Christ died. It was just really a lot of fun. But I also prayed that that couple, that their love would be evident to everyone around them. That the, the more they dig deeper and, and rely on God, that that love would emanate. And people would say, boy, they really love each other. And that's a witness in itself, isn't it? You're kind to people, you're compassionate, you're a good listener. You know, you're being a good witness, even sometimes before you open your mouth. 
So that's cool because it's just really good stuff. Um, he wants us to trust him. He wants us to go the distance with him. And understand this. We are in a marathon, not a sprint. A marathon, not a sprint. Um, I don't sprint or do marathons, but you can see the professionals and how they're built, their bodies. A marathon person, they don't carry anything extra. They, they know how to pace themselves and go to distance, like a lot of sprinters because they're moving so fast, fast twitch versus slow twitch muscles. They have incredible huge quadriceps. They're usually very muscular. And you see the difference in two athletes, but the sprinter can only go so far before they run out of it. But the marathon person still goes. And I'm amazed when I um, look at some of these marathon runners and they're doing 20-something miles. I don't know if the human body can do that. I'd be dead. But, but it's amazing. Their, their body, it knows how to burn just enough carbohydrates. It knows how to retain their energy and stuff. And, and they make it across the finish line. And, and this is why the Apostle Paul speaks about um, the Christian life that way. It's a marathon. You know, we're here to go the distance with God. Very important. And we also need to get our eyes off of people. Last section, verse 17. He continues. He says, Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of His fury. You have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling. Doesn't sound like a really tasty drink. And drained it out. There is no one to guide her. Among all the sons she has brought forth nor is there any who takes her by the hand. Among all the sons she has brought up, these two things have come to you. Who will be sorry for you? Desolation and destruction, famine and sword. By whom will I comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of the streets like an antelope in a net. They are all full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, please hear this, you afflicted, and drunk but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord and your God, who pleads the cause of His people. Now this is where there's a change. Okay, so Jerusalem went through, the city went through pride. It went through uh, worshiping these demonic idols. It went through child abuse. It went through spouse abuse. It, the deeper it got into sin, um, the culture was just so decadent. And I think about our culture. Um, so God had to let go of his protected hand and a lot of this is historical anecdotes now here's where things change right see i have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling the dregs of the cup of my fury you shall no longer drink it but i will put it into the hand of those who afflict you who have said to you lie down that we may walk over you and you have laid your body like the ground and as the street for those who walk over so they're oppressors Five, awake, awake, stand up. Context, Jerusalem, drinking the metaf- metaphoric cup of God's fury. Okay, There's a, a personification of Jerusalem sort of as a person drinking a cup of fury with the dregs on the bottom. The first thing I thought of is, you know, it sounds really gross and, um, you know, I've eaten and drinking things that have made me sick. It just kind of sits in the stomach and like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But this is what sin does. It makes us spiritually sick, right? It makes us spiritually sick. So when I read the Bible and I read the metaphors, I'm like, oh, God, you're a master. Because he puts this image in your head, this thought in your head that makes it make a lot of sense. 
Okay? Uh, God was merciful. He gave Jerusalem a period of punishment and then He restored Jerusalem. Now this is interesting. In Luke 22, Jesus drank the cup of God's fury when He went to the cross. This is important. He, he agonized in the garden because Jesus was going to drink a cup that He didn't deserve. So Jesus drinks the cup of God's fury when He's on the cross. And part of that fury was the judgment for my sin and your sin, and the collective sin of anybody who's ever lived. And really, you talk about lack of justice, it actually wasn't fair. However, if Christ didn't do that, we'd all be in a lot of trouble right now. So here's someone who's completely sinless, bearing the sins of... And and when you think about sin, and you read the paper, and you see the most heinous crimes, and you multiply that, only God could do something like that because of His love for us. And he agonized over drinking that cup. He didn't deserve that. But he knew that was the only way to free us from our sins and free us from judgment in the afterlife. Think about that for a moment. God says, I will take the cup of fury out of your hands and give it to those who afflict you. Now the context is Babylon, but I would just say this because we're remiss if we just read the Bible like this is some old history book. This is the living word. And you see these these understandings, these lessons that just keep coming up in the Scripture. I would just say this to to me and to all of you. Be careful when you're in a position of authority over someone else. You know, when I was a police officer and I had become a Christian, my thinking started to change. You know, I never never did anything bad, but, um, you know, I used to go to work and I used to just pray that I would, you know, (laughs) there's a crime, I find the right person, not falsely accuse anybody because we're humans. We make mistakes, right? It happens. We don't mean to. Uh, but I had authority. I would go out there with guns on my body and in the car. And, and uh, I had power over life and death, over people. And as a Christian, I prayed that I would never get the wrong person. I would never harm somebody um, unintentionally. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to be a police officer. You could be a judge. You could be a manager. You could be a CEO. You know, if any of you take off (laughs) someday and you're running the company that now you're working for, think about these lessons. Because when we... And and I've seen this even in my jobs over the years that somebody gets power, they they get a promotion and they change. They become weird. They become like, who do you think you are? You know, a God? So as Christians, let that not be said of us. Um, And what God was saying is those people that oppressed you, now they're going to drink the cup of fury because they showed no mercy. They showed no grace. They were cruel. Okay? Um, When the Nazis had had come through, the the cruelness they instituted on the people um, towards the end of the war, it, it came back to them. It came back to them. So God has a way of visiting the same evil upon the perpetrator of evil. James 2 tells us that God will not show mercy to the merciless. Let us not be among the merciless. Always show mercy. Zechariah 12, Jerusalem will be a heavy stone and a cup of drunkenness to the surrounding nations in the last days. So you keep seeing this cup of trembling, cup of drunkenness, cup of fury. Right now, the whole world wants to know what's happening with Jerusalem. Is God's Word 100%? Sure it is. At the time it was written, nobody could really see it. But we see it today, don't we? It's all about Jerusalem. Are we doing one state? Or are we doing two states? 
You know, is, is the embassy going to be in Jerusalem? Is it going to be in Tel Aviv? Are the Palestinians going to have the 1948 borders or the 1967 uh, borders? The whole world wants to know. There's not one country that's legitimate in the world that isn't wondering what to do about Jerusalem. God's word is true. And that's where that last battle is going to focus on Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. So listen and awake. Or pay attention and wake up. For those of you that had a rough night last night, wake up. (laughs) Pay attention to the spiritual realm all around you, to the unbeliever. If you don't know Christ, you're sleeping. Or you may be spiritually dead if you never know Christ. That's scary. God wants to wake up your spirit. And a lot of times He does it through a, through a sermon, through the Word, through a preacher. Give your heart to Him today. There's no reason to wait. To a believer, I never pass this one up to be popular. Because there's a lot of believers that are lulled to sleep by the world. There's a lot of believers that were on fire at one point in time and Satan... He's a strategist. He's like, I can't get that person not to believe God. I don't think that'll ever happen. So let me go with plan B. Let me give them everything they want. (laughs) I've seen people leave this place that have become famous. God is just, he's, he's gone. You know, something they've been praying for for a long time. And they get it. Maybe it wasn't a gift from God because it separates them from God. If you're a believer, it's so important to have a passion for the living God. Because all this is all going to disappear one day. It's going to be souls and it's going to be God. It's going to be angels. It's going to be a sea of glass. It's going to be the throne room. It's going to be really, really cool. Um, (laughs) So, looking forward to it. Don't be a spectator. Don't be uninvolved. God's word is puissant. It's high octane. You're either going to let it penetrate your heart and do its work or you're going to put it at arm's distance because you don't have time for it right now or you're too busy, or whatever the case may be. And let me tell you something. I, I was that for a few years until I stopped fighting His love advances for me. Don't fight His regenerative effects. Don't fight the passion He wants to instill in you. Don't fight the ministry that He has for you. This world is falling apart. You only have to walk a block to find that out. You don't have to go far. People are hurting. People are walking down the street aimlessly. No direction. People are struggling. People are in poverty. People are emotionally distraught. And you know what? And just like what Sue was saying in the announcement, don't worry if you don't feel that you're good enough. You don't be good enough to be used by God. You just have to be willing. Amen? All right. We're all awake. So uh, at that, we'll, we'll close and uh, just give your heart to Him and give all of your heart to Him. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.